0: Now, it has been a few weeks since we've been in Paul's letter to the Roman Christians. And this may be the greatest chapter in the Bible. And in some ways, as I step up to the pulpit and dive into this, I feel inadequate completely. Like we, we need God to show up to teach us and to help us. To see, And that's exactly what we pray for every Sunday, that the Spirit of God would minister to us and give us the words we need. That he would bring things into the message that nobody anticipated, that are from this book, that are ultimately Spirit-inspired, and that are good for our souls. So as we enter into Romans 8 once again... Let's come before the Lord and just ask him to help us and encourage us. Wherever you've come in today, just bring your heart to God and just plead with him to speak to you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Romans 8. We thank you that you've revealed such glorious truths, Lord, that. Uh, They never get old, Lord. They never tire. They're timeless truths. They're glorious things to behold. And we thank You, Lord God, that You are faithful to bring Your people from no condemnation in Christ to no separation from the love of Christ. And we thank You, Lord God, that You bring Your people all the way home. And I thank You for this passage. I thank You, Lord, for the glorious truths it reveals about who You are and how You feel about Your people and the lengths that You would go to to demonstrate Your love for Your people. And Lord, we just thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You, Lord, just as we sung about. Jesus, thank You for the work that You've done. Thank You, Lord, for for taking enemies And making them friends of God. We thank You, Lord, that You take those who are dead in their sins and You make them alive. And that can only happen through the Gospel being preached, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so I just pray, Lord, would You help us now? Would You encourage us and strengthen us as we get into the Word of God? May we get help in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're getting to that season where all the Peanuts cartoon specials start coming out, right? You've got the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown and the great pumpkin. Then you've got Charlie Brown and the Thanksgiving special. And then my favorite, you know, Charlie Brown, a Christmas special. And I just used to love watching the Peanuts growing up. You know, you got Charlie Brown and the whole gang. You know, you have Pigpen, who's got a little puff of smoke going everywhere he goes. It's just all kind of grimy and nasty. Peppermint Patty, Snoopy, Woodstock. And you even had characters like Lucy, you know, and she could just be kind of a sass master and, and, just get all kinds of angry with people and make a fist and act like she's gonna punch him. And then you had probably one of my favorite characters besides Charlie Brown was Linus. And what did Linus carry around everywhere he went? A blanket, right? A blanket everywhere he went. It did not matter. It was dragging all over the floor. It was nasty probably. A little bit gross he probably took it to the restroom he probably took it outside he probably took it all through the floor you know imagine what that blanket started to look like and we all know and any of you who have children know what the stuffed animal looks like that goes everywhere it just starts getting brown and gross and 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 has all these you know uh, sort of nasty smell to it and you just want to stick that thing into Uh, A washing machine wash it and completely annihilate it (laughs) so what does Linus do with his blanket he takes it with him Linus looks at that blanket as something that kind of protects him something that kind of gives him comfort something that kind of makes him feel secure right It's the thing that he holds on to no matter where he goes. If he has it, he feels okay. And every one of us look to something for security. Every one of us came in today and we have things we look to for security. In our world, we might look to our bank account for security in life. We might look to a spouse For security, if I just have my spouse next to me, I feel okay, right? We might look to all sorts of things to provide us safety and help. And Linus was kind of a picture of what we all do by nature. We all cling to something in this world. And we're living in an age of... An unprecedented modern pandemic, right? A war on our European fronts in Ukraine, political division and upheaval, a country that's been is more divided today than it's been in fifty years. And so the question of where do we find our security is no more relevant than it is today. Right? Who are we going to look to? What are we going to trust in? What is going to help us when times get difficult? And Romans 8 centers us once again on some of the most glorious promises of God. Look with me as we look to Romans 8 and I want us to see two things. There's a promise that God is for us. And there's the ultimate proof that we can bank on the fact God is for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. What we just sung about is not just something that we want to savor musically, but we want to lay hold of as the very thing that reminds us that even if the world around us gives way, Christ is our hope and stay. God is for us. And He put His signature on it when He sent Jesus to the cross. So look with me. Romans 8, verse 31. This is God's Word. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll notice that Paul opens this section of Romans 8 asking a question. He says, what then shall we say to these things? And he's referring to the things that he previously said, right? And the last time we were in Romans 8, we talked about the greatest promise in all of Romans. And for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And then He says, what are we going to say to these things? as he plumbed some of the richest promises of God towards you, that God is working in your life if you're in Christ to bring about good in all things, even the bad stuff, even the suffering, even the danger, even the trials, even when the bank accounts dwindle and inflation rises, even when you feel your health is failing and you're barely able to get out of bed, even when you feel isolated and cut off in some ways, lonely, depressed, discouraged, God has made a promise in Scripture to His people that He foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And what does Paul do at the end of this chapter but say, what shall we then say to these things? What are we going to say? And then we come to some massive restatements of promise if god be for us who can be against us and that if is not like maybe god is for us right sometimes we see the word if and we're like hmm there may be a little bit of doubt in paul's mind here but he's been rock solid right Romans 8.1, There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? For the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The power of the Spirit has delivered you from the domain of darkness. And underneath that is the One God sent to be condemned in our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul has been laying out the foundation of what God did for you in Christ. And he means to impress upon us that it is so secure that he's going to ask rhetorical questions that have clear answers. He doesn't even bother to answer them. If God be for us, who can be against us? Since God is for us, who can ultimately stand against us? And that's the first thing we see in this text. If you're in Christ, you need to know that God is for you. No matter how you feel about it, no matter how your day went, no matter how the past three months went or two years, you need to know that God is for you. No matter if you're battling cancer, no matter if you're struggling with discouragement or doubts, you need to know that God is for you. That's why this is in Romans 8. It is to provide us with assurance that God is for us and He is so for us that He moves from the foundation of the world. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. And He will glorify us. So that's how you know He's for you. And then He has to ask it all over again. Just in case we miss that point. So what does it mean for Him to be for us? Well, it means that He's on your side. He's in your corner. He's the One who goes before you like He did the Israelites, guiding them through their wilderness wanderings. He was... A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He parted the Red Sea and led them out. He delivered His people. He gave His Word to His people. And He is on their side. That's why the psalmist could cry out in Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? What does it mean to us to know that God is on our side as Christians? Corey Ten Boom, that famous woman of God who was a Christian in during the the Holocaust and went through Nazi Germany. She was hiding Jews. Her whole family was hiding Jews. And they got caught by the Nazi authorities. And her, her whole family and her sister were thrown into a Nazi prison camp. And they were serving Jesus, hiding Jews, being faithful, praying, going to church, doing what's right. They get captured, thrown into a prison camp, and the conditions were so foul and so disgusting that Corey describes it that their living quarters were they're just filled with fleas. Everybody's itching, everybody feels disgusting. There's very little portions of food, the rations are meager. And her and her sister Betsy begin to start Bible studies. And Betsy just had an unshakable hope as Corey describes it. She just loved the Lord and she knew God was on her side. She knew that God was for her. And so she would pray and thank God and and have the Bible studies and she would even pray and thank God for the fleas. And Corey thought that was strange. (laughs) You're thanking God for fleas. And they were able to have Bible studies and lead people to Christ in the middle of that kind of an environment. And later, Corey would find out just what it meant to have gone on your side. Because the fleas were actually the thing keeping the prison guards out of their housing area so they could have Bible studies, which wouldn't have been a good thing if you had the prison guards coming in. So the fleas, the very ones that she thanks God for, were the very thing that allowed them to have Bible studies, get encouraged, and minister to the Jews around them who didn't have Christ. That's what it means for God to be on your side. It doesn't mean He's going to take all the stuff away. It means He's with you in the middle of it and He can put fleas to work for your good. And so Betsy thanked God for the fleas. And I wonder, Smithfield, do we thank God for the fleas in our life? Do we see the dark threads as a part of the Grand Weaver's purpose for good in our lives? Or are we quick to complain even though this text says if God before you doesn't matter what's against you, It's only when you find your ultimate security in Christ, in God, that you can begin to thank Him for the hard things and still confess He's for me. Behold the witness of Betsy Tembo who would die in that prison camp but her light would shine through her sister's testimony for decades and decades, bringing encouragement, the very encouragement you just got from hearing the message. If God before us, who can be against us? When life falls apart, what we truly believe about God comes to the surface. When things get hard, Our theology is revealed. And so we need to get encouragement from the Apostle Paul, who says, if God is for us, because God is for us, who can really be against us? Now, some of you might be thinking, (laughs) all right, Paul, you just listed a bunch of stuff just a few verses later. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Verse 36, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It sounds like somebody's against us. Paul's not saying that nobody's ever going to come against you or things aren't going to get hard or trials aren't going to come. He's saying that none of those things will ultimately prevail over the Christian. None of them will ultimately have the last word in our lives. It doesn't mean enemies won't come. It doesn't mean accusations won't come. Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Charges come. Satan throws accusations all the time. But if God is for me, then verse 33 is right. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? His His Christian church? His people? You who are in Christ? It is God who justifies. It's God who said not guilty over your life. So the charges may come But God is for you and He justified you in Christ. Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the One who died for you. And more than that, He was raised from the dead and He actually intercedes for you. That's what it means for God to be for you. He's encouraging you that if you're in Christ, All of those things will not prevail over you. Even if your feelings say otherwise. Our feelings ebb and flow. You're going to have days where you just feel so down and out that you barely can get out of bed. But if you begin to read Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. For the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. If God be before us, who can be against us? And you begin to see what it means to have God at your side. God as your helper. Condemnation may come, but Jesus paid the price to deliver you from that Sorrows may come for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God has glorious things afoot in your life. He is working out His purposes to bring you ultimately to become totally conformed to the image of Jesus and to be glorified. That's what verse 29 says. He predestined that you might become conformed to the image of Jesus. His Son. He means to make you like Christ. So everything you go through is a testimony that God is for you and He's working that very purpose out in your life. That's the kind of security that puts gravity before the Christian that helps you not float off into the ether, but you're standing on rocks when you go through hard times. That's the kind of encouragement that David had, right, when he faced Goliath. It's David the shepherd boy versus Goliath the giant. And what was the difference between the two of them? Why does Goliath lie with his head off by the end of it? Because God was at David's side. And it doesn't matter who's against you. That's the lesson we learn from the life of David. He was the least likely person that God would choose. And God chose him and said, I'm for you and I'm going to raise you up as a king. And people were looking at all the other people. They looked at Saul and they looked at the brothers of David and they looked and they said this surely would be the person that God would raise up. And it wasn't the person. No, I want the shepherd boy in the field. Because when I raise him up king and I bless him, people will know that I am for him. That's the only way impossible things happen in our lives for good, where God can work some fleas to get a Bible study to happen in the middle of a concentration camp. That's the God we serve. That's the God who calls us. That's the God who wants to give you a total rock-solid security in Christ. But if we're honest, we can cling to all the wrong things. Maybe you're in here today, you're not a Christian, or you don't know if you're a Christian, or you're backsliding, and you're beginning to trust in other things to try to make you secure. You're looking to... Money. You're looking to relationships. You're looking to your image before people. You're man-fearing. You're looking for something to make you feel important. Something to make you feel famous. Something to make you feel like I'm successful and if I've got this success, if everything's going well, then I'm secure. Listen to what comedian Jim Carrey once said about getting rich and famous and having everything you dreamed of. He said, I hope everybody can get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so that they will know that it is not the answer. Spoken from the depths of depression when he was at the peak of his career. Those things cannot give us security And if that's where our trust is, it's like Linus bringing around the nasty security blanket that's not actually helping him. It may make you feel secure for a moment, but it's a chasing after the wind. We can look to the idols and the false blankets of money, drugs, alcohol, addiction, an illicit relationship, an extramarital affair, we can look to those things and they will fail us. The Apostle Peter reminds us God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You want to know something? God is for His people, but He's against the proud-hearted sinner. He's for His people, but you better believe if you're outside the promises of God the wrath of God is upon you that's what John chapter 3 said that if you are not in Christ you're condemned already that's what the greatest verse of the bible right John 316 says for god so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life did you ever see That the condemnation captured in that verse is for all who have rejected Christ. Do not believe. They're outside the promises. Caught in sin under the wrath of God. Not so for the believer. God takes pains to make it clear to you that He's for you. And no matter what else the world throws against you, no matter what else goes wrong in your life, if God is for you, it doesn't matter if the whole army of hell is unleashed against you. It will not prevail. Is that not what Jesus taught in Matthew 16? Not even the gates of Hades will prevail against My church. Sometimes when you look at the scoreboard, you wonder, but it's not going to prevail. Don't look in the sliver of the moment and miss the work of God. All you might see is fleas, but you might not see the work that God does with the fleas. So that's the first thing we see. God is for us. The second truth that I want us to look at is what God actually does, the lengths He goes to to prove to you that He's ultimately for you. He says look at the cross. Look at the cross and look what I've done for you. He gave up his own son. Is that not what we see in verse 32? Underneath verse 31 is verse 32 for a reason, lest you doubt the truth of verse 31. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? You want to know why you can trust that God's for you? Because He did not spare Jesus from the cross. He did not spare His only Son. He's like, you want to know why I'm for you? Look at the cross. Look what I gave up. Look what I didn't spare. I did not spare my Son, but I gave Him for you. So you might know He's radically committed to your good and bringing about the redemption of His people. He sends Jesus to a cross. It's interesting language that He uses, right? He did not spare His own Son. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that in Genesis 22, that same kind of phrase is used when you recall the life of Abraham, where God put him to the test to see if he had true commitment. You remember the story. He puts him to the test and God asks Abraham to give the most precious thing to him. We read it in Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham! And He said, here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Can you imagine that? Imagine you were there. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, the most priceless thing to you, the most glorious thing in your life, the thing that's your treasure. Give it to me and I will know you're committed. Offer him up, and I'll know how you care. That's how I know you're for me, Abraham. And you know the story. Abraham goes, collects wood, takes his boy up the mountain, and they go all the way up, and Isaac's kind of (laughs) like... Where's all the I see the wood, but I don't see a sacrifice? And and Abraham's like, keep going. Right? And he gets to that point where he's about to sacrifice his son. And we hear the words of God shouting to him: Stop. Listen to Moses as he records it. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You've not spared him is the same word that's used. That's translated with help. You've not spared your son, your only son from Me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And there the Lord called that place the Lord shall provide. Because... Abraham was asked not to spare his own son. And God spared him. But you know what God did? He did not spare His own son. He gave Abraham back His son, but He did not get back His son. He gave him up to the cross. Though He did get him back by resurrection. He gave up His son. He wouldn't spare it. He would not spare Jesus for you because He's for you. Do you feel that? Do you feel that when things go bad? Do you feel that when, when you feel like your faith is, is, is languishing? Do you know what it means that He did not spare His Son, but set Him to a bloody cross? That we talk about the old rugged cross. That's the lengths God goes to demonstrate how He cares. But God demonstrates His own love toward you that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Not only did He not spare Him, that's the negative assertion, but He gave Him up. Look at verse 32 again. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He gave it up for us all. I just just hope we get into Romans 8 and we swim in this chapter as we have been. Swim in it. It's an ocean of love from God towards you. It's His love letter to you telling you how much He cares about you. You will not be a witness for Jesus if you don't believe God loves you. You will not be a witness for Jesus if you don't look at the cross and see His love writ large for you. You will not be a witness for Jesus if you don't plumb the depths of what it means for Jesus to go to a cross for you. And when I think that God His Son not sparing sent Him to die, to take away my sin. Is that not what the psalmist says? He says that, or the hymnist, he quotes this very verse. God did not spare His Son because He desired to redeem us. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, such a wonderful beauty I see, for twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. There is no pardon, and there is no holiness, and there is no cleansing from your sin if you have not come to the cross and received Jesus by faith. If you have not repented of your sin and come and received God's love towards you in Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave Him up for us all. Isaiah 53.5 reminds us that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Do you see that it was God's intention to bring Jesus to the cross? God gave Him up. God delivered Him up. God purposed to do that. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and delivered Him up, the Bible says. But behind that was God's purpose to deliver up His Son. Yes, Pilate delivered Him up to be crucified. Yes, the Jews cried out, Give us Barabbas! And they delivered Him up to be crucified. But behind that purpose was God's purpose. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for sinners. Broken people. People who rebel against God. People who are enemies of God. Doing their own thing. I recently shared with somebody, you can't get saved if you think you're a good person. You don't measure up to God's standards. God's standards are perfect and good, but they're not petty. If you just think for a second about the Ten Commandments, you probably have broken most of them. Right? When's the last time we told a lie? How many lies if we amplified that we've told through our lives? How many webs of lies that we tried to sustain to cover ourselves? And that's just the first commandment. How many lustful looks are represented in the room? How many angry outbursts? How many stormy tirades? How many swindling? thefts in our lives. When we think of ourselves before the Ten Commandments, probably the greatest transgression of all is that we fail to love God and put Him first. We fail to love Him and we love other things. And that is exactly what the Gospel reminds us. We're not good people. We're broken people. We're not good people. We're sinners. We're not good people but we have all turned away. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Even though before God's omniscient gaze, when He looks into your heart, He sees that you're guilty. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Because the blood ran red at Calvary. And God demonstrated His great love towards you. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His Son into the world, His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the wrath-bearing substitute for our sins." That's what propitiation means. Sometimes we fail to be horrified by the cross, and so we do not see the depth of love that was poured out on the cross. As God poured His wrath on Jesus on a cross, as Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? God's love was answering your condemnation problem before Him. Jesus was condemned in your place. Jesus was butchered on a cross. Jesus had a crown of thorns twisted on His head. Jesus had nail spikes driven through His hands. Jesus was suffocating on a cross trying to get air as He asphyxiated on the cross. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was maligned. His beard was ripped out so your sins could and the condemnation you deserve would be ripped out of your life forever. Do you realize what it means to know that Jesus loves you? That's why that song, Jesus, Thank You, is so beautiful because it reckons with the horror of the cross so that we might drink in the deep love. The deep, deep love of Jesus. And it wasn't like Jesus is up there trying to rescue us from a mean old God. It's God who gave up His Son. Do you see it in the text? Verse 32, He did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. It's the Father's plan to send His Son to deliver us from the wrath that He has towards our sin. What does that mean for us? The end of the verse tells us just what it means. He did not spare His own Son, verse 32, but gave Him up for us all. If He didn't do that, or if He did that, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all? Things. With Christ, you get everything God has for you. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. New body, new heaven, new earth, no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. Glory's coming. And God's working all the bad stuff for good so that fleas take care of His purposes in this kingdom. But there's a new kingdom coming. And the King will one day return and He will gather His bride spotless and adorned for His glory. And will we today stand upon the realities that God is for you as a Christian? And that God demonstrated it ultimately and finally by sending Jesus to a cross so that you might have life in Him. That's a precious, blood-bought promise of God. He's for you. And He's so for you that He gave His very best to save you. He gave Jesus. So I find us at a point where we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to remember Ephesians 1.3 that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours in Christ and that He predestined you to be made holy and to be made like Christ. These promises are all over the Bible. The all things that He provides is just a restatement of the previous verses. And we know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we step back into the realm of lioness and we see a little boy clinging to his security blanket we see a little boy with problems. The Peanuts had problems, right? They were always fighting, always getting at each other. And he had to have that blanket. Maybe you're there today. One of the reasons I love the Christmas special so much and remember watching it every year is because the one time you see him let go of that security blanket is at the Christmas play during that message. And he has to tell the meaning of Christmas. And he's been memorizing it and memorizing it. And he gets up onto the stage and the spotlight comes and it's just this sort of scene that almost comes out of nowhere. And he looks at his blanket and he throws it aside. And he recites the words of Luke chapter 2. And he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is well pleased. If you're in Christ, God is well pleased with you. You can throw the security blankets down. You can throw the security blankets of looking at your bank account. You can throw the security blankets of people-pleasing, and just trying to live by the fear of man. You can throw the security blankets that you've been holding on to and clinging to, the right job, the right house. Throw them down and rest in the security that God promises you. He's at your side and He provides all things good for His people. But maybe you're in here today and you're holding on you're holding on to something that is keeping you from Christ. You could be holding on to your sin. could be holding on to something that's not God, that's making you secure. And you need to let it go. You need to cast it off. And you need to remember the promise of the Gospel. You see, if you recognize your need for Christ, if you recognize you're a sinner and you're needy, and you've fallen short of God's standards. That's the first step. Knowing you're not good enough. The second step is to repent of your sin, to be willing to turn away from those blankets, lay them down, right? And lastly, you've got to receive Him as the Lord of all. As the Gospel has been proclaimed this day, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and He came to a cross to die for you and I. And you can only receive this news and this security and have this God at your side if you put your trust in Christ. For as many as received Him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray wherever we are at today, Lord, whether we're blood-bought believers, children of God, Christians, or we don't know Jesus, we've been holding on to false securities. We've been finding out with Jim Carrey that all the other stuff is not all it's cracked up to be. Wherever we're at, Father, I pray that you would call forth Faith in the promises of God. And Father, I pray that You would encourage Your people that they would know that You're for them, that they would know You love them, that that, that a blanket of Your love would just overwhelm them, and that even in the midst of deep discouragement, they could have hope, knowing if God before me, who can be against me, And knowing the lengths You went to demonstrate it, to secure their salvation. And Father, if there's some in here who who are realizing today, I've been running from God. I've been trusting in other things. And when it gets down to it, I realize that I'm either for Christ or against Him. And Father, I pray that you would call them today to put their faith and trust in you, to recognize their need, to repent of their sin, and to receive Jesus as Lord. And may today be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen.